A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is a Lip Media podcast. Sit, boo boo, sit, boo boo, sit. Girl, I don't. Some bad hat Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Dawson Leary. And today we'll be discussing The Crown Season 1, Dawson Leary. <laughs> Sorry. I just wanted to is see if you noticed. Is that his actual character? That's his actual name. Oh, yeah. wow. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for letting us know Damask Leary. <laughs> You're welcome. I'd forgotten his name was Dawson Leary. How are you doing, Dawson? Um, quite well. Joey's left me for Pacey. Uh-huh. No, spoilers. Um, no, I'm actually, I've got a bit of a cold, unfortunately. Oh, but other, so other than that, I'm fine. I finished an assignment today, so feeling good, feeling productive. How well about done. you? Excellent. I'm pretty good. Can't complain. I do have a little bit of news I want to put out there very quickly. Because this will be out before we get to our next off-topic hot topic, mm-hmm. I just want to let everyone know that if you were a fan of End of the Fucking World Season 1, mm-hmm. the release date for Season 2 has been announced. It was vaguely November. Is now going to be, we know now it will be November 5th on Netflix for everywhere outside the UK. I don't know what's it, what it's playing on the UK, but it's not Netflix, obviously. Mm. One of their other stations, I guess. But November BBC, 5th, one assumes. But BBC who knows? one, BBC two, BBC three. There's more than Maybe just the four. BBC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, it will be out on November 5th. So yeah, look out for that uh, on Netflix if you're outside the UK. I also just wanted to say uh, since we've moved to Lip Media, We've had a little bit of a pickup in listenership, which is wonderful. We're famous now. Mm, so go that far. Uh, we're news, new and noteworthy. Um, but I did <laughs> want to uh, just sort of say thank you for coming on board. Welcome to the podcast. We hope you enjoy it. If you are enjoying it, uh, we'd love you to A, tell friends and family members and people who you think might also like the podcast about the podcast. That'd be wonderful. Mm-hmm. I'm we'd, sure your grandma would love it. Definitely. She wouldn't worry about the swearing and the politics at all. No. And, and I'm definitely sure she knows how to download a podcast. So definitely. Doesn't need help at all. Mm-mm. And also, if you'd like to leave a review on iTunes or other such podcast uh, places you find podcasts, that would be helpful as well. Uh, but also, we'd love to hear from you. We have off-topic, hot-topic episodes where we talk about the news of the week, discuss things uh, that interest us, but also what that interest you. So if you'd like to contact us, please do so on uh, Twitter, at HuntingSCast. You can find us there. Also, email us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. Dot com. We would love, love, love mm-hmm. your emails. Whether you have questions or shows that you want us to watch, who knows? Whatever it is, we want to hear it. We can add to our list and ignore until <laughs> we get Don't to it one day. Don't tell them that before they send the email. No, please send us stuff. Uh, in the meantime, though, let's get to our spoiler-free review of The Crown Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. The Crown is a Netflix historical drama series created and written by Peter Morgan, CBE, about the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. 
Morgan is best known for writing historical films and plays, including Frost Nixon, The Deal, and Rush, and The Crown evolved out of his 2006 film The Queen, featuring an award-winning performance from Helen Mirren, and 2013 stage play The Audience, also starring Mirren. Season one of The Crown arrived on Netflix on November 4th, 2016, and covers the period from Queen Elizabeth's marriage to Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, in 1947 to, well, spoilers maybe... Something happened in 1955. The series boasts a stellar cast including Claire Foy, Matt Smith, Vanessa Kirby, John Lithgow, Eileen Atkins, Victoria Hamilton, Ben Miles, Alex Jennings and Jared Harris. The Crown Season 1 consists of 10 episodes, each coming in at around 58 minutes and took us approximately 9 hours and 40 minutes to watch. Season 1 was nominated for a number of critical awards, winning Golden Globes for Best Television Drama Series and Best Actress in a Drama Series, that goes to Claire Foy, and a Primetime Emmy for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series to John Lithgow. So, Damask, Mm -hmm. why did we decide to watch The Crown? Well, we love Olivia Colman, and she's going to be the new queen, and also it's really popular, and I thought we should jump on that train. Definitely, and season three is due out in a number of weeks now, mm-hmm. at the time of recording. Yes. It's going to be here very soon, so we want to catch up in time for that. Mm-hmm. Before we get into our thoughts on the show, though, I want to know, what's your sort of, like, history or knowledge of the royal history? Like, mm. we are Australians. Yes. We are technically a part of Her Majesty's Commonwealth. Damn straight. So, how much do you know about the Queen, about the royal family, mm. etc.? Well, I remember when Princess Diana died. Yeah. Because my mum cried a lot and so did her best friend. And then I also remember the night that Princess Diana's funeral was aired in Australia was the night that The Little Rascals was first going to be aired on free-to-air television in Australia. And I was really excited to watch the movie, but then obviously it was replaced, replaced by the funeral. And as a very young child, I was upset by that. Sure. Um, so that's a dense history already, as you can imagine. Deep personal uh, <laughs> connection. I... I didn't really know anything about the royals. I watched The Queen and that was the first time that I was like, oh, I actually find them very interesting, Mm -hmm. particularly Queen Elizabeth. I was like, oh, what a really complicated, interesting character. Um, My housemate, his his sister worked in Buckingham Palace. Wow. Um, She was one of the staff there and she was promoted to what's called the Queen's Floor. I'd never heard any of this shit before. This is fascinating. It's called the Queen's Floor. And so she only has two personal maids um, on that floor. And so their job is to, you know, in the morning, wake her up, open the blinds. They they pretty much just look after her throughout her days is what they do. So he's got lots of stories. So through him, I've heard a lot. So he was there, I think, for her... It couldn't have been her 80th because that was quite a while ago now, wasn't it? I don't know. It was either her 80th or her 90th. He was at one of her big birthday parties and he actually met her. Right. Um, and actually when we were watching The Crown, they, you know, go to Windsor Castle at one point. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, have you ever been there? And he's like, yeah, yeah, because he's been to Buckingham Palace a bunch of times to visit wow. his sister and hang out and stuff. Anyway, he's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I've been to Windsor Castle. I think he's only been once. And I've been there on a tour. Yeah, and he was like, oh, <laughs> he's like, well, he had a tour as well. Um, he's like, oh, the Duke of Edinburgh gave me a tour. And I was like... Mm. Pardon? And I was like, which one's that? And he's like, oh, Prince Philip. Oh, mm. Prince Philip gave me a tour. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what's he like? Yeah. Because spoilers for the show, he's 
not a particularly likable character. Uh, he's certainly complicated at, at least. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, he's great. He's so friendly Ev- and everyone loves him. Right. Everyone loves him. And my housemate is a gay boy and he's like, and a bunch of gay guys work in the palace and once Prince, a lot of these like footmen and stuff, they love retelling this story. But one um, evening they were like, there was some sort of gathering and a bunch of these, you know, gay boys were like hanging out and, and with like Prince Philip and, you know, a bunch of the royals and Prince Philip, cause he's very inappropriate, but people love it. And he's just like, oh. So, some people really don't love how inappropriate he is. Let's put <laughs> that people, out there too. Yes. Um, but the people who work in totally. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. the palace really enjoy him. His friends like it. Yeah. yeah. And um, so he's surrounded by all these like kind of gay footmen and people who worked in the house. And he's like, oh, God. There's so many of you lot around now. I have to walk around the palace with my back to the wall. Oh. And they they loved him though because he's just, he's just a man of his, he's like just grandpa. You know sure, what I mean? Sure, and totally. he just makes jokes and he doesn't mean anything by it, but they, you know, they really enjoy him. So, I thought that was pretty cute and That's funny. That's amazing yeah. story. So, basically your connection, you have a, almost a direct connection to the royal family or at least you're mm. like, if this was the, you know, six degrees, I'm seven once bacon, removed from the queen That's amazing. is all I have to say. Yeah. Yes, you are. That's amazing. Because he has met her. Oh, my God. He's spoken to the Queen. See, I like that used to impress me a a little bit, like a fair amount. Yeah. After watching this show, it impresses me a whole lot more. (laughs) Like, that is very meaningful. Oh, it's so funny. At one point, they're in a room, I think, when the family, you know, moves to Buckingham Palace. Mm. Um, And my housemate, he just perked up and he's like, oh, oh, yeah, no, like. That's exactly what that room looks like for her birthday party. That's the room that we where you walk up the stairs and we walked up those stairs to put our coats away. And I was like, "This is fucking ridiculous." That is an amazing. <laughs> it's like having a little like commentator in the background, yeah, like discussing with you. That's it amazing. It was quite fun. Because mm. I was going to say my history is very similar to the first half of your little discussion right, there, which sorry. is like, I definitely remember Princess Diana's death. Mm-hmm. I remember I was at a birthday party for a friend, mm. and the car accident had happened and we're waiting to see what the news would be. I came out of the party and all the mums were upset because she mm. passed away. Because we were very little. Pretty little, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would have been in grade four or five, I think. Yeah. And then I do remember also the funeral, not because I missed out the little rascals, because my parents were like, it was on every station on television. Mm-hmm. So, my parents took me to the video store. It was Packed like Video oh, Easy yeah, has never course. been more full of people, and we rented <laughs> video out easy. Video that Easy. Video Easy takes me back, yeah. And we rented out <laughs> the uh, was Tim Burton involved with that one? I can't remember, but it was like the claymation James and the Giant Peach, and we watched I don't that. Think he was. It had a very Tim Burton esque mm. feel to it if he wasn't yeah. directly involved anyway. And we watched uh, yeah, James and the Giant Peach basically. <laughs> I remember, I remember that. I wish my parents had thought ahead. <laughs> I just had to, to sit there watch my mom crying. Gone to movie land or something the like funeral that. Procession. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. And so otherwise, like that's the that's the thing that fascinates me. I think about this is that we she is our leader, our ruler. Like we are part of the Commonwealth. She's on our money. Our ruler. She's yeah. on our stamps. Mm-hmm. She is the leader of the kingdom that we are a part of. And mm-hmm. yet I never think about it. Like never think about that ever. It's just not something that comes into my thought process. She is non, may as well be non-existent. Mm-hmm. She is so irrelevant to my life. Yeah. And so it's so weird to think that like I'm under her rule and yet <laughs> just have a never, not even just not any interest, just she does not exist in my world. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's really weird to think about and then to start going watching this show. I was like, I really should know a lot more about this. <laughs> I've yeah. certainly seen like movies on like uh, Henry V mm. and those sorts of things, plays and stuff as well about different kings and queens of England. I know little bits and pieces of history, certainly Queen Victoria and et cetera, et cetera. But, and my grandmother is definitely a royalist as well. I think well. all of our grandmothers I think are. they all are. Yeah. But you know what's funny now? Mm. Is now I look at her and how she styles herself. So, so herself, which is very much in sort of the style of the Queen. Mm-hmm. But my grandfather, who I've talked about previously as being a uh, minister of the United Church, mm. he has got a very Prince Philip look to him as well. <laughs> He's got that sort of like tall, lanky mm, look. Yeah, I'm like, I do wonder whether part of that re- re- attraction was because... He looked like Yeah, well, Duke actually, now that you mention that, because my grandpa who's alive now doesn't look like Prince Philip at all. He's well-dressed and he's still got a full head of hair, but he, he was always like quite a well-built man. Where, but my the grandpa that I never met because he died when dad was six months old, the photos of him, though, he does kind of look like a bit of a Prince Philip. There yeah. you go. And those suits and stuff are always a well-tailored suit. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, yeah, that's, that is my connection to it. Um. Another question I wanted to ask before we get into spoilers, mm. or get into, so even of our review, is do we need a spoiler zone this week? This is ostensibly known history. There's nothing, mm. no surprises here. If mm. you op- you can open up a Wikipedia well, page th- or a history book and you'll find this stuff. I think what you just said there is like, you don't think about it. That's we don't know anything it, about it. So, one, yes, we are in the Commonwealth, so maybe we're expected to have more of a knowledge, but there are many people out there who don't live in countries that are in any way related to the Commonwealth. Absolutely. So, I think we should absolutely have a spoiler-free No, section. I think that's true too. I mean, if I'm finding out, I'm watching this going, I never knew that. I just <laughs> never I'm constantly Googling that. while I'm watching the show going, did that happen? Who is that person? What's going that's on? That's a yeah. big deal and I never knew it yeah. occurred. <laughs> yeah. uh, that certainly makes me think we should have a spoiler zone as well. So, we're going to talk about this with some liberty, I think, of mm-hmm. history, but we're going to keep big yeah. events or things that we think people might know not know out of the uh, spotlight while we give our reviews. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, Damask, yes. would you like to give your spoiler-free review of The Crown Season 1, please? Why not? You threw it to me last week, so... <laughs> I thought about doing that again this week, but I won't be so cruel. <laughs> Ta. All right, so this is a show about a character who lives her life almost entirely internally. And not only that, her ideological position is that of impartiality. How do you make a show out of that? Well, it's not easy, but the complexity of a young woman who is consistently referred to as being unremarkable and without character, holding together a deeply wounded monarchy, is pretty interesting. Elizabeth's transformation into an unassertive and compliant monarch is immediate. However, the season really starts to fly when that compliant nature begins to crack as she makes her way into becoming a strong and complex queen. The monarchy is the last line of defence against tyranny and corruption in the government and only when it's absolutely necessary can the Queen move to make any real change. So, how do you know when it's absolutely necessary to make that move? That's something that Elizabeth must grapple with as the season progresses. She can only learn so much from her predecessors. After all, it's a new age. But, unfortunately, conservative values still firmly in place. In season one, we come to understand a little better the struggle between the personal and the public, between desire and duty. It's a solid season that slowly brings you into the Windsor family, but as David said, with this family, you never really know when you're in. 
And it's true. I don't know if I'm really understanding the complexities of this family just yet. There's still so much to explore and our protagonist is still slightly opaque. I'm sure the coming seasons will delve more into who she is and how that plays against the huge burden on her shoulders, but this is a great entry point and I very much enjoyed it. Cool. Broderick? Um, I am going to bring up a few things along the way that you might mm. want to jump in on, as mm-hmm. we often do. Uh, if there's some discussion points here to, uh, to sort of expand on as we go. But yeah. I am genuinely shocked by how much I enjoyed season one of The Crown. <laughs> it shouldn't be that surprising. Peter Morgan has been doing this kind of thing forever with ridiculous success. Mm. And the series has been lauded ever since it arrived. And yet I never expected to love it as much as I have. The obvious place to start is the quality of the writing. This is all old hat now to Peter Morgan to the point that he makes navigating the individual human side of these people and the larger political and uh, ethereal aspects of their situation look easy. It's hard to overemphasize what a challenge it must be to balance the micro and the macro so well, but The Crown succeeds effortlessly. With 10 episodes and an average length of 60 minutes an episode, there is an inherent risk of becoming too long-winded or losing focus, and yet somehow each episode feels, well, episodic, like a complete mini-movie, a rare feat in the current binge-watch climate, and also like part of the greater whole that is the season arc. That's not to say things are perfect, though. Dialogue is mostly razor-sharp, tinged with an authentically British dry wit. The odd clunky line will slip through occasionally. Uh, A good script is nothing without the performers to bring it to life, though, and the cast of The Crown is sensational from top to bottom. Claire Foy gives an understated yet captivating performance, making subtle choices to portray the internal struggle of the woman and the monarch. Matt Smith uh, walks a tightrope of charming, obnoxious, and and sympathetic. Vanessa Kirby both sparkles and wilts as Margaret, and John Lithgow brings the required humanity to Churchill, a role which can easily become cartoonish without care. Jared Harris also makes the most with the little time we get with Mm. him, leaving behind a kingly phantom that lingers throughout the season. However, for me, the star of the show is the use of light and colour. Every frame feels like a carefully, uh, careful restoration and recolouring of a black and white photo with the royal blues and gold uh, being bold, but the mid and skin tones remaining subtle. There is a softness to every scene and how it's lit, but nothing to the point of feeling desaturated. It is stunning and did wonderful justice to the careful recreation of the period cars, outfits, furniture, makeup and hair. British TV has been doing period uh, recreation for a long, long time, but it never goes unappreciated. I wondered if you had any thoughts on that, on like no, doing just, period stuff. Oh, I just thought that was so beautifully oh, stated. Thank well, you. <laughs> I agree. Um, what I'm about to say is a bit overly simplistic, but hopefully it's taken as intended. In a year when we have mourned the ending of Game of Thrones, both for it finishing and because of how it ended, <laughs> this reminds me of that show at its best. When political manoeuvres felt more important than mm-hmm. giant battles and every decision our heroes made felt not just important but world-changing. Mm-hmm. The drama came just as much from making a choice as it did from what resulted from that choice. Mm-hmm. It's politics as action and it's thrilling. I also learned a lot. Uh, I wasn't aware of this part of Churchill's legacy. I had no knowledge at all of the abdication of David or King Edward as he was. You haven't seen the King's speech? I have, but I guess I'd forgotten all of that. Like, I remember the bits where Colin Firth is learning. Yeah, stuttering. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember watching that when it came out. Like, Mm. I did, I saw it before the Oscars and stuff like that. Mm. um, But I just had forgotten. You blocked it out. Yeah, again. 
my interest in the Royals was next to zero. <laughs> yeah. um, the idea of like how intrinsic religion is in the mm. monarchy as well, I guess, is not something I'd ever really thought about. Doesn't it's not doesn't make like it makes perfect sense, mm. but never ever really considered how entangled that all is. Um, I guess the question is. How good is this show as a historical reference? And that's something we might talk about in spoilers. Mm -hmm. If I had one criticism, it might be with the score. Whilst I enjoy (laughs) Hans Zimmer's theme music, series composers Rupert Gregson-Williams and Lorne Balfe, B-A-L-F-E, I'm not sure if I've said that right, can occasionally go a little overboard with their grand brass movements. Drama, darling, it's drama. (laughs) Yes, this show is about world politics and larger-than-life characters, but it's also a show full of humanity. For me, the score sometimes sometimes reaches a bit too hard for epic. This is particularly (laughs) noticeable at the end of a few episodes, where we are blasted by majestic horns, when it feels like what is happening on screen is more personal and internal. I love majestic horn. Majestic horns. <laughs> uh, while Elizabeth II might technically technically be my queen, I've never before been even slightly interested in her or the royal family to the point where I've rarely even think about the fact that she is actively the leader of my country, as I said earlier. The crown has made me give a shit about Liz. <laughs> Not in the sense that I, that I think the monarchy is needed or even relevant, but in that I'm genuinely fascinated in what being born into and living in that world must be like. And for it's the fir- a story, right? And for the first time ever, my grandmother's interest in the royal family actually makes sense to yes. me. Yeah. Uh, I did want to bring up just the discussion point as well about the difference between documentary and historical drama. Because mm-hmm. not everything that's happening on screen is going to be 100% accurate. There are going to be embellishments. There are going to be amalgamations of people into one character. Does that matter? How important is it that we recognise this as a historical drama versus documentary? How much we enjoy the show, etc. Well, it's not a documentary. Um, I mean, that's. I hate to bring it to anyone at home that thought it was. Um, it's I, not. I say this is someone, like I said, it's someone who felt like I was learning a lot as well. Well, yeah, because what I was saying was incredibly interesting, and a lot of it is very dramatic. And so I just wanted to know. I was like, did did that happen? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it was a yes, not specifically, you know, in that order. Um, or what have you, but a lot of it, yeah, it was it was actually happening. So I think it's a it's a wonderful dramatic piece. Mm-hmm. It also can be a catalyst for further learning. Mm-hmm. But should you be using this as like a historical reference? No, mm-hmm. do not use it in your university papers. Please, <laughs> please don't do that. <laughs> it's a TV show. Mm. How would you rate this out of five stars, Damask? I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, certain things. It, there were moments where it was a little saccharine for me. Can you? Or, are there certain examples of that you want to give, or are they too spoilery? Um, just like little lines here and there. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. It's, it's mostly like dialogue issues, I think, and maybe a clunky handling of scenes. Can I give an example of one I thought was super on the nose? As much as I think Please the character do. may have said it. Yeah. There, David says a lot at one stage. It is love, Winston. Love, the greatest thing on earth. I'm like, mm, that's a little like clunky guy. Mm. And like, while it's informative of his character and his position, it mm. also is like just saccharine or yeah, just really poor. I don't know. It was just bad but dialogue. I, think I, I don't even know if I would use that as an example because I think that perfectly speaks to how kind of. I'm not going to say childlike, but I think childish mm-hmm. his perspective is. 
That's um, interesting. So I think that speaks more to that. Um, but I'm just thinking, yeah, things that are a little bit too dramatic, oh, I think, sure. for um, the Windsors perhaps. It made me go, ooh. Um, so, but I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's a great show. I'm really excited for season two and three. I'm giving it a 3.5. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. Good Lord, son. I. Oh my God. Legitimately loved it. I, That's great. W- like, as I, I really kept, enjoyed it as well. Yeah. As I kept writing, mm-hmm. I kept at the end of episodes just writing, God, I love this. God, I'm enjoying this show. <laughs> That's nice. Like yeah. I was... Some, especially with I the found show, it very easy to watch. That, that's part of yeah. it, a big part of it, I think. Mm. For I think I, I remember looking at it and going, 10 episodes, one hour each. And like, sometimes I have to break it down, like how I'm going to watch this through a week. Mm. And like, I kept to my schedule. I didn't like suddenly watch four episodes in a night or something like that. But I was just eating it up. Yep. Like, I, I, they didn't feel overly long. They felt appropriately lengthed. And I was enjoying it. And like I said in my review, mm. I love the fact that they actually felt episodic. Yeah. Because I think we said, I can't remember what the show was. We talked about this not too long ago. More and more shows of this nature are just feeling like movies that have been made longer than cut up. Mm-hmm. And these felt like each <clears throat> episode was a story that did feed into the yeah. whole, but was actually like a. a well, so I many felt of them full spoke at the to a certain perspective or yeah. a character. I was like, oh, okay, we're learning about this part of history. Now we're learning about this part of history. Definitely. And so many of that was attached to a character, which I th- which I found was very effective. I just think it says a lot about Peter Morgan is good at this. I'm sure there are lots of people out there who are really critical of the way he does this, maybe where he bends and stretches the truth and stuff like that. I'm positive there are people who don't appreciate it. Mm. But in terms of just making I think this all more, come to yeah. life... Mm. It's it's fascinating. I think it's very, very cool to see. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. On this episode, we will be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of The Crown. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of The Crown up to this point. If you have not done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Thank you for indulging me with that. You are I, so welcome. I had the idea and then I chickened out and yeah. then you went and did it, so thank you. Wouldn't it have been great though, everyone, if Broad did that warning. in the Queen's no, I couldn't do accent? it. On this episode... Well, you've got a week to work on it. Oh, I'll get ready for, for next time. Two. Okay, I'll work on my Elizabeth, Elizabethan accent, sort of. In sure. A way. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, quickly, just to go back to something we were talking about before spoilers, mm. just the discussion on accuracy. I did find a, a cool article on this um, called The Crown, Sorting the Facts from the Fiction in Netflix is drama mm-hmm. uh, via Robert Lacey at Radio Times. And it basically talks about, the, I think Robert Lacey has been like documenting the Royals for a long time. And mm-hmm. he was asked to basically fact check the Crown season one versus reality. And so like questions come up, like how true was it that Elizabeth and Philip were in the treetops when Ooh. George died? True. No. They were away. Yeah, they were away, but they weren't in that specific spot. No, that's specific They were in spot. the house by that point. But also um, whether the thing with the elephants happened. Mm. I mean, a version of that happened. Yeah. How I, much I feel- felt like when I was watching, I was like, I think I've heard about that before. Oh, really? Yeah, just vaguely. But I was like, this sounds familiar or this looks familiar. I also thought, just side note, mm. the CGI elephants were pretty damn convincing. They were great. I was yeah. really impressed by how... Apparently the budget was like 130 million. Well, that explains why. There you go. Because it did a pretty good job. Of it. I can't. I'm. I'm. It'd be 100 that million went to the elephants. How much of? I would love to see how they like. You know, with Game of Thrones. Have you ever seen a VFX show reel about how they like create King's Land and make it look mm. like a real place? I'd love to see that done with this as well. Like recreating like the outside Just of Buckingham the elephants? Palace. Oh. <laughs> no. Yeah, the same way they do the dragons. Obviously, <laughs> no. Uh, like recreating the era and like, do they have mm. to paint out like how much modern stuff? I don't know. It'd be fascinating to see that process. Anyway, um, like how true is it that Queen Elizabeth threw a tennis racket at Philip when they're having an argument just outside Melbourne? Well, we very know. true. Very true. Very true. That's what I love about this show is like, yeah, I was constantly just googling things and then finding out that. They were pretty much all true. It was very exciting. A good example of something that like didn't happen, but mm-hmm. maybe is just a storytelling device, was the assistant of Churchill. Um, I think they called her Venetia. Or yeah, Venetia. In mm-hmm. the show. Yeah. She didn't exist as a person. Mm-hmm. A lot of what they showed of her, like reading out letters to him while he's soaking in the bathtub and drinking, uh, smoking cigars and stuff like that, that is based on real, th- on real mm. like 
uh, retellings of stories involving But her as a singular person. Her as a singular person is not. Her dying, being hit by a bus didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Why he was at the hospital, I don't think that's an accurate reflection of. But it's true that he did go to the hospital during that hospital time. And gave a little speech and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like, yes, they play with... They take shortcuts. They you know, combine individual stories into one character and stuff like mm. that. But ultimately, as the article says, it gets to a version of the truth. There is, a, it's not the factual, mm. actual it's happening. It's not a history book. But it is, there's a truth to it mm-hmm. that is, I think, really, really well uh, illustrated. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to also start by talking about the religion as a foundational factor of the crown. Mm. And I'm not a religious person person what i know right Shocking. i'm hanging out with an unchristian man oh my <laughs> my parents would not approve <laughs> no they wouldn't <laughs> uh, a more they have to worry about don't worry and that's an element yeah uh, that's interesting is in someone who's not religious to look at that and like we were talking last week when we were talking about fleabag season two you know you have mm. your history with christianity and yes. catholicism Mm-hmm. I want to know not Catholicism, not Catholicism, not, just Christianity in general. Yeah. Sure, sure. Priests and so forth. Uh, organized religion. Anyway, yes. How did you feel about that stuff? Did that give you? Did you have more insight into the idea of like what makes the royal family so special? The idea they're connected, like a direct connection to God, that they are holy, or sort of like. Yeah, I think like. Obviously, I've always known that those things are quite fused together. Mm. Obviously, the creation of the Church of England, famously, because he couldn't keep it in his pants, the old Henry Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I think... So, I've always, like, associated that with, like, kings and queens of the past. I've never really associated it with um, Queen Elizabeth, who obviously is the only monarch that I have known... I think just because I haven't really, I you know, I wasn't alive during the coronation, um, you know, I yeah, so I haven't really seen her as a religious person. The only time I've seen her in a church is during weddings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I was, I was quite fascinated by how she is bound by the laws of the church. That yeah, it had never occurred to me before. I think one of my favorite sequences in the entire show is mm. her coronation. Mm. And David, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was David explaining because he does, I think there's two versions of it. There's this very like explaining the majesty of it, the transformative nature of it, mm. what this all represents, how sacred and ceremonial it is. And like they, the show does an amazing job of like this beautiful close up that just focuses on Liz's face while she's hearing the words from the archbishop and so forth. It presents in a way that makes it, ethereal and holy Mm. i really got a sense of what people get out of it yeah and i think like it also speaks to you know how bound she feels to it as Mm. well it's not only yeah like you know her studying of like constitutional law throughout her life um and just simply saying an oath but the fact that you know it's decree from god that she is to be the the queen of britain like that is like like God has given her that mission, mm-hmm. and she is a religious person, and so that is of the utmost importance to her. And yeah, it just kind of like connected a lot of dots that previously weren't. But then immediately 
after that. Mm. The flip side is David, who is watching on television with a room full of people, deconstructs all of the pageantry mm-hmm. and like shows it for how silly it is. Mm-hmm. And it's a perfect counter. Like, mm. I love the way the show can walk that line. Where if it had just showed the majesty of it, right, it could be accused of being like pro, like royalty or Mm -hmm. or monarchy or whatever. But you do that with and David's a very Mm. complex character. I can't wait to talk more about. Well, that's thing is like I I like the fact the show shows that those two things can exist at the same time. Yes, you can be critical of it and just see that yes, like you know this plain unremarkable girl is being turned into a god and it's all just pageantry and Mm -hmm. silliness. Um, but then the, the reverence and respect and the symbolism of what that means to a lot of people and the history it represents, um, and also like as being like, you know, an icon of, of a certain faith as well. Like those two things exist together and they can even exist in one person, which is what we have with David, which is so fascinating. He is because while he, yes, he's, you know, very like anti the establishment for, you know, good reasons. Um, but he also, you know, the, this idea of like he could have been, as he says, immortal. He could have been a god mm-hmm. um, and being attached to that. Yeah, and but he gave it up and just like the, well, he believes he did the right thing, you know, does have regrets about that and sorrow, deep sorrow about giving all of that up, which is a huge thing to fucking give up. I I didn't plan to start with David, but Mm. I think while we're here, we should just talk about him. I truly found him fascinating. Me too, I knew nothing about him. Mm. Absolutely nothing. I'd forgotten the King's speech. Well, can I just say, when he first appeared, I was like, oh, wow, they've cast him so well. He looks so much like Prince Charles. Oh. And then I was like, oh, I'm only saying that because he played Prince Charles in the Queen. Oh, right. He doesn't actually look like Prince Charles. It's just because that's, yeah, that. that's how I associate him. Yeah. Uh, but he is a fascinating character because I, I just guess his perspective is so interesting. One of my favourite things, and I want your opinion on this, mm. is his letters he writes to his wife. Mm. They are so filled with venom aimed mm. towards the country of England, his family, the whole monarchy in general. Mm-hmm. And yet we also understand that he holds home and the 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 kingdom, I guess, that he, ha- he had for briefly and all that sort of stuff in a certain high regard. He, mm. This idea that he gets homesick in the very last bit of that coronation episode is him playing, I think it's playing, he's playing God Save the Queen on the bagpipes. No idea. I think it, I think mm. it was, don't quote me on that. And he's crying as he's doing it. He's such a mm. complex man. What did you make of those letters? Like, did you think they were somewhat performative or to his wife about... Because like, well, I think there's a lot of truth. complex yeah. because, like, so, so the letters are real. Yeah. And so in terms of the show and not real life, because you don't know what his interactions with the family actually were that led to the letters being written... Um, so obviously I can't speak to that. But in terms of the show, yeah, I do think there is a performative element to it. Um, well, I do think he has a huge amount of disdain and quite a lot of vitriol towards many of the family members and the institution that ultimately didn't accept him um, mm-hmm. for what, for who he was and what he wanted out of life. 
Um, he does feel that way, but he also, I think, does have a deep reverence for those institutions while simultaneously, you know, disparaging them. Um, and also, we, you know, we have moments while, while he says terrible things about his mum and stuff, mm. you know, when she asks him to stay when she's dying, he, you know, he complies and, but then immediately we have him saying that, you know, she hated me until the very last moments or whatever. It's like, well, that's not true. And so I think in order to maintain his relationship with, I think her name's Willis. um, Yeah. It has to be like, they're the bad guys Mm. and we're the righteous lovers. And yeah, it's, it's, he's playing to a narrative that I think partially he believes, but also, yeah, it is performative. You said he sort of had – he was childish mm. uh, in his views or in his actions. What were you talking about there specifically? Just speaking to his um, absolute adherence to, you know, I, I did it for love mm. and, like, that was the most important thing. And because I had love, um, my giving up of duty or my betrayal of the duty that I was sworn by – is okay. Um, and so I don't think he doesn't vocalize it. Maybe deep down he feels it, but you know, a genuine regretfulness about what he did. And I think like, yeah, his, the childishness comes to just, you know, I'm in love and that's all that matters. Kind of is what I was referring to. Do you think he has a a conversation with the archbishop and Tommy at Mm. one stage? Can I just say as well? I love the character of Tommy. Yeah, he is me too. The most British person I've ever seen in my life. Can I just say he's- he is such a savage bitch? Yeah, and I love it. Like just the ultimate resting bitch face. Just what a cunt! But just like savors every moment, every morsel of shit he's spewing at you. It's just wonderful. But he just it's it's the way he does it with he ultimate composure. Care. He's just like these are the rules. I don't know why we're having a discussion. I'm bored. Where are the cucumber sandwiches? Like, that's all it is. And I fucking, I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. There's a bit in the last episode where he's talking with his replacement as secretary. And I think the guy's name is Michael. And he's left him with this situation where two years after uh, Elizabeth has said that when Margaret turns 25, you'll be fine to marry. Mm. And like... Michael's left with the situation and he just, Tommy could not care less mm. that he has left this live grenade <laughs> sitting in Michael's hand that he has to deal with because yeah. he's retired. What the mm. fuck do I care? Uh, I'm d- also like, I'm curious if that happened in real life. Who knows? But also just in context of the show, I was confused because a lot of it, you know, there was an episode previously where she's talking about all she's studied her whole life is constitutional law. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she didn't know this thing about the Royal Marriage Act made me go, why didn't you know that? I think is the difference between studying the Constitution, which is like, how old is that document and that specific role, mm. versus this was a change that was enacted after what happened with David. So, maybe it's at that point. Mm, no. Was that the whole no, idea? No, no, was no. that- No, uh, it didn't happen after David. When did it- It ha- was a previous monarch that had happened. Oh, it was a previous monarch that happened like too. Like, ages and ages ago. Yeah, wait, maybe it's just one of those things that's not like it's not like the front foot of what you're learning. Or maybe she did learn a little mm. bit about it, but it's not one of those. It's like it's a day lesson. You don't keep yeah. going over but that. It's specific so related part. to her is the Royal Marriages Act that you'd think that she'd be I, how, up on it. I, yeah, maybe. 
I feel like I get like its dramatic purpose, mm-hmm. but also I was like, mm. again, remember, even in that episode, she had to go back and like find her old textbook from when she was there to go back over her notes to get to the whole point. Like she was re-studying up on this as well. Mm. Again, I think it's one of those things where they, while she while she did learn it, that was her education. She then went on to you know be this sort of figurehead for the family, cutting ribbons and stuff like Learn that. Learn about corgis. Learn about yep. corgis, all that sort of stuff. And she wasn't really expected to take over for a long time. They would have groomed her and re-educated mm. her if they had the time, but that didn't happen. Yeah. It all happened much too quickly. And so, yeah, maybe she'd learn it once upon a time. It came up in a lesson, but it wasn't something that was relearned before she actually mm. became the queen. I don't know. Didn't bother me that much. Fair. What you're saying, but in the conversation between Tommy and David, they're talking about like he'll be invited to the coronation, mm-hmm. but uh, his wife won't be. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Come on, guys, it's been how long now? Can we just like surely enough time? Let's bygones be bygones." Mm. I think he says specifically. How do you feel about that? Do you think like, you're saying there's a childish nature to it? To oh, he was totally in the right there. Fuck them. Like fuck them. Like, they're, at that point, Tommy and the Queen Mother are just being spiteful. Mm-hmm. So spiteful. And I get the the rage because, you know, Queen Mother does believe that her husband having to take over that role eventually killed him, which obviously is nonsense, but that's how she feels. It so was I, the hundreds and thousands of cigarettes. cigarettes. <laughs> yep. Um. So, like, yeah. So, I understood the anger, but, yeah, it was... Incredibly um, ungraceful, the the way that he was treated at that point. Like, yeah, so much time had passed um, and it was clearly just an act of fuck you. I also loved the scene between him and Elizabeth when she he demanded goes- an apology. Yeah, and it's like it's. Again, this is what I love about the show. It's everybody is both right and wrong at the same time. Mm. Nobody is perfect. There are no clear heroes. Everybody is sympathetic to some degree at least. And so to have him to feel like, yeah, you are being treated unfairly at this point. This is Mm. ridiculous now. And also have this young woman say, you didn't think about me when you did this. Mm -hmm. Like the burden you have placed upon not just my father, but now me. Mm. It it shouldn't have come to me. It didn't belong to me. Mm. And now I'm dealing with it because- you couldn't handle it. Yeah. Um, that felt really honest. And I love that conversation as well. It was a fantastic moment. Yeah. I mean, yeah, her ability to so um, eloquently and politely position that conversation so mm-hmm. that she could do that and so that he would be receptive to that, I think goes to show how good Elizabeth is, is becoming, um, at, at that kind of thing, at negotiating those types of conversations and realising when to be quiet and when to speak and when to stand up for herself. Yeah, really interesting. Just before we get to Elizabeth, I think we should go mm-hmm. there next. You mentioned, or I mentioned cigarettes. Mm-hmm. I also just loved their presence throughout. Mm-hmm. There's like, they're always there, but they always feel, they don't feel cool. They feel like they're this thing that's choking everybody. They're like a crutch and then just like filling up these dark wooden rooms yeah. with like, yeah, people just like grasping for cigarettes and puffing them down. And yeah. they're always really smoky. They're mm-hmm. used as a stress thing all the time. Yeah. They feel unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the right way to do it. Their presence was this, you know, yeah. 
very bad thing that lots of people were doing, make themselves well, sick. That's why, like, Elizabeth was so upset when, obviously, Philip goes to smoke and she's like, I fucking, we should say fuck, but I hate those things. Like, I don't want them. She might. You don't know. Yeah, you never know. Uh, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. One of the things you said in your review was that you found her to still be a bit opaque. Were you talking more about Claire Foy's performance here, do you think, or just No, feel- not at all. I think, and I think it's purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um the fact that she is still not entirely defined to us because she is very stoic and a lot of her processes or almost all of them are internal except for a few outbursts or when we see her at the beginning of the season when before she becomes, before her father dies, when she's overseas in first in Malta and then in Kenya and Nairobi. Um, so, yeah, so she's complicated I still don't quite know who she is. I'm fascinated. It's made me fascinated to know who she is, mm. but I I still yet to quite grasp it. Is what I meant. Okay. Does it? Does she work as a central figure in this story? Then, if like, does does that work fine? Because there's a lot of characters going around who are equally as fascinating. I think in a lot of different mm. ways. Is this person who's still so mm. mysterious? Well, I think her as a figurehead absolutely works yep. because we see the people manoeuvre around the crown mm-hmm. and how it changes relationships, how they react to her, how it complicates things. But Elizabeth as a person is not the protagonist of this story. Like she's – like it is the crown. Like I don't know – I, I, I'm not. I'm still I, unclear I definitely as to get who what you're she saying. is, a, a person. I think beyond being the queen. I think both things are true because that's mm. the thing of it, right? Like you're saying, one of the things that the, the show does a really good job of is explaining that the monarchy is a lot of being in the monarch is just being quiet. Mm. Like you are a figurehead. You aren't really making decisions. You're just confirming whatever is written down in the constitution. Basically, mm. those that you have lines that you say. It's like a script almost. Um, or you don't say, you just don't do things. And so there, when you say everyone's moving around the crown, like you look at the way Churchill positions himself with the Queen or chooses what not to tell the Queen or that mm. sort of stuff, yeah, that's all happening absolutely. I real I disagree though. I think in terms of like understanding her, mm. her story, the, the Elizabeth Lilibet, Lilibet underneath it all, mm. it's exactly was written to her by her grandmother in episode two. Like it's that duel between her, the sister, the wife, and the crown. And the crown must win. I think that is the line that sums up what this whole season arc is. Because that's mm. what we get to, right? Is like, yeah, she's doing a yeah. duty, doing a duty. I think, like, I see the duel. Yeah. I would like to know who she is. Maybe if I knew who she was before it, really, beyond, like, just the sure. gallivanting around with Philip sure. um, in Africa. Yeah, I I see the conflict mm. um, between like doing what the natural inclination of like you know what you and I as audience members would do. Obviously, you want to help your family and stuff, and with responsibility. I see that. I still don't have an intimate knowledge of who she is, and I think I get glimpses of that. And spoiler alert: in like my favorite episode, when she gets um, the professor, mm-hmm. and she has this great great moment of vulnerability when she admits of about her limitations, mm-hmm. and that's why I was like, oh, okay, all right, I see a glimpse of something really great. Um, as well as when you know she has the great moment, and she's still being quite stoic, but 
what she's speaking to is such like a huge big personal thing which is saying to Philip that I have I have loved you more than anyone else can you say the same mm-hmm. I was like oh all right like I loved those moments I'm just saying give me more give me more give me more what if what if she's not a person that has more what I I think this is and where Claire Foy has been so amazing in this role is that this is a woman who didn't get to the point of being fully groomed for the role, but has to some degree been prepared for this her entire life. Mm. She, of the two sisters, is the more... The one who is best going to be the figurehead. Mm -hmm. She obviously has internal conflict and she has these ongoing problems with her husband and with her sister and with her mother and on and on it goes. But she's just expertly good at keeping that internal. So we're never I don't think we're ever likely to see like a scene where Elizabeth just like I'm not saying this is what you're asking for mm. either, but like where she just breaks down. The closest we might have got where she was just tied and threw a racket at Philip. Do you know what I mean? Mm. That might be as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be disappointed if we didn't get more than that. I kind of think that it's like it's all in like the quiet mm. moments. The and question I think, she like, asks. Yeah, as as we go forward, I think so that is her character. It's the fact that she is so internal and she has that conversation with Margaret where, you know, Margaret is being really vulnerable with her and talking mm-hmm. about mistakes and that's a great moment where she could have been like, because just after she got back from Australia and she could have been like, oh, well, I made a mistake too, but like, you know, thankfully hers was covered up, but she could have related to her Um in that but she's like well you know i'm not good at at this kind of thing Mm -hmm. so she's clearly emotionally repressed which is really interesting and i think as we what i hope for as we go forward is seeing how that emotional repression which is a really interesting character to to explore i Mm -hmm. think but seeing how that emotional repression really starts to affect those personal relationships the degradation of those personal relationships true this season really is about getting to these like tipping points yeah. with her and margaret and her and philip mm. and you're probably right that we're not quite there yet i think the season bookends explain what where we've gone or we've been and where we're going mm. starting with the marriage uh, between elizabeth and philip and sort of them when they're very much in love He's very charming. They go and travel around the, you know, doing the royal tour and stuff like that, having a grand old time. Or well, when he's still, you know, in the navy and she's, you know, mm. hosting parties and stuff with a fellow naval man. And then seamen, seamen. Thank you. That's the proper word. Thank you, seamen. And then to get to the end of that, where the last lines of like forgetting Elizabeth Windsor, now only Elizabeth Regina. Regina's a word I didn't had never heard of before, by the way. It's quite an interesting word. Regina. Regina. I've never heard it pronounced that way. Regina. Would Regina. that normally be here? Yeah. yeah. But, like, that is where we're at. She's sort of, like, made a choice almost. She's sided with the crown. Mm-hmm. The crown wins, as it must, apparently. Well. And Elizabeth sort of has faded away and mm. leaving a very unhappy sister and a very unhappy husband. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Well, it just speaks to this huge weight that and trauma that David has left for the family. Mm. So many points in this season, people speak to the fact that he almost brought down the downfall of the monarchy. Mm -hmm. And obviously Elizabeth witnessed um, how awful that was for her father. And obviously it is now a burden on her shoulders. 
and but there is and there is so much I think both her her dad and now her have absorbed this kind of lack of duty from David and seeing how damaging that is and just overcompensating and just being like you know those was it 58 or 57 cities in 58 days mm-hmm. or something insane like oh yeah no I'm gonna hit every one of them I'm gonna do absolutely everything I have to do because that's my duty and you cannot fail in any regard when it comes to your duty that was was that 57 Australian towns in 58 days was that part of it at one stage there was like we don't have to go to all of them or something like that something I was like, like that, yeah, yeah you probably don't need to go to Shepparton just saying <laughs> you know just skip I'm Shep. pretty sure we've only got like maybe 10 places you need to go to in Australia. Like, we're so empty over here, guys. It's it's so empty. Make them come to you. You don't <laughs> need to go to all of them. Well, I guess it, what it becomes, and I imagine we're going to see more of, is that, that whether it was David or whether it's just sympathetic of the fact that this is an institution that's hundreds of years old, there, it seems to be this general, like, the inability for the crown and, you might argue, the church to keep up with the changing world around them. Mm. Like, this is a big discussion point around Margaret and um, Townsend. Mm -hmm. Like, the people all say, we're not the same country we were even six, seven, Mm. eight years ago. Um, Times are changing. We support this. Mm. But because of, you know, we cannot let the crown seem weak. Mm. We cannot let it deteriorate. We must have the monarchy stand for the religious values of the Church of England. It is like... It has to stop. It cannot progress or evolve mm. at all. I think, like, yeah, it also speaks, like, so much of this season is about the duality of things, right? Yes. So we have, like, this real moment in time, like, you know, post-war and, you know, so many more freedoms for people, whereas the institutions are still kind of stuck in, you mm-hmm. know, Elizabethan times, um, but not our Elizabeth, obviously. And so, and I think like, yeah, so we've got Margaret and Townsend who they are allowed to kind of frolic about, you know, obviously under the radar, but Mm -hmm. they're allowed to do that and that's fine. Um, But still there's that law that they keep, you know, butting heads up against. Um, And it also speaks to the coronation Mm -hmm. episode where, you know, Philip's all about, you know, like moving forward and bringing the crown to the people and to avoid, you know, the tragedies that his family went through, although probably rightly so. Um, and so he wants to, yeah, bring to the people, modernise it, all about yeah. modernising it. But at the same time, he's like, well, I can't kneel to my wife. Mm-hmm. I can't like have my kids have your name. And so it's yet that kind of like they're people of their time, but of that time – was really confusing and mm-hmm. things were changing, but like still other institutions were like stalwart and unmoving. Yeah, it's really complex. Uh, I want to come back to Philip in just a second, mm. but just before we move from Elizabeth, I just wanted to mention how much I love seeing her like like walking around in her dorky wellies or like <laughs> driving cars and loving humans. Those things were very humanizing at times when she is she's constantly putting up this. M- Act of being this monarch, this like religious figure or whatever. That's what I loved about the movie, The Queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just to like get to her in her wellies going like driving and stuff. Yeah, it's so it's it's a wonderful part of her that knowing that is a real part of the woman. Mm. I mean, obviously she's just a woman. It, she's a, just a person like anybody else, mm. but 
it's this pretense is so constant all the time. It's <laughs> yeah. easy to forget that. And so to see those moments, it helps a lot. Let's talk about Philip and Elizabeth then in terms of their marriage, mm. in terms of their relationship, in terms of what happens there. Do you have any sympathy for Philip? Like he's he's charming, especially early on, no doubt, I think. I can see I the attraction to him. I think maybe the first him. one or two episodes I found him charming. Really early on. After before that, she I was like, queen. yeah. He is misogynistic. Mm-hmm. He is a bit racist. I think that's true of the, the man that we know him as well. I'd say quite racist. Quite yeah. racist even. He is a pompous ass and when mm-hmm. he... Arrogant as all hell. Arrogant, absolutely. Do you have any sympathy for what he's feeling or his plight? Do you have any sympathy for how he feels about his marriage and the stress that this is putting on the marriage? Yeah, I think I certainly... It's hard because obviously... As someone living in 2019 and with my values and ideals, seeing that behavior just immediately, I get very angry. Totally. Like, oh, you're so backwards. And I'm like, well, yes, of course it's backwards. It's the 1950s. Um, and he's part of the aristocracy. Of Absolutely. Course, and, you know, of course he's backwards. That is his whole worldview. And, you know, we think of. Obviously, the oppression of women um, under gender roles, but then you think of like the like the poisonous conditioning that men have received from that as well. Mm-hmm. So he thinks by losing his his name by having uh, by being married to a woman of higher status than him, that that devalues him as a man, which of course it doesn't. But that is what he intrinsically believes, and so yes, I sympathise that he feels that. He's being deprived of his yeah family name, you know, having his own space, his own home to inhabit where he's like lord of the manor um, and also his career. Like he, he has lost a lot and a, all the things that really um, is of value to being a man back in the 1950s. Of course he's lost. Of course he doesn't know what to do and he's acting like a petulant child. Should he be behaving that way? No. Even no. if he does feel those things, is that an appropriate way to act? No. What, but I sympathise, certainly. What I, yeah, I think all those things are true. And I think it's really easy to argue like um, those things, the way you've described them as well. Yes, you can sympathise with it, but it's obvious that like, you know, that comes from institutionalised, like misogyny and those sorts yeah, of things toxic, as well. Yeah. Toxic too. But what about just the simple idea that it wouldn't matter uh, theoretically, and we don't, I can't say this is definitely true for how Philip would react, Maybe if he was in this position, he would not feel this way. But how being, having like this duel that's going on with the two sides of who Elizabeth needs to be, mm. the woman and the crown, mm-hmm. the sympathy he has for when she just can't choose to be a woman. As in like, he really sympathizes, I think, with Margaret's situation. Mm. And I think he's in the right there about that. Mm-hmm. Like, where he's like, like, you're a sister too. You're a... Wife, all these things seem to come second all the time. I'm always the second, uh, the second priority. I'm never ever to, I would be your first priority as your husband. I mean, yeah, he's stating facts. Yeah, but the do you, like that's the bit that I sympathise with. Is I mm. think that is that it's is hard. Yeah, that is not just hard, but almost impossible. Like when you watch them drift apart, and he does not help the situation at all mm. by, with his antics whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But 
I felt it really organic. And to watch them go from what felt like a happy couple who were very much in love, like she says it, she's, she loves him. She chose him. Mm. She could have been with Porchy, who seemed very charming and on the level and like shared interest and stuff yeah, like that. I think I would have liked to see a bit more light and dark with Philip. Whereas I think as the season progresses, he is always the one to be like, no, don't do that. No, I'm not doing that. Um, and just constantly frustrated by her being the queen. Whereas I'm like, well, you married a woman who is going to be queen. Why haven't, why aren't you being empathetic with her situation? She's the fucking queen. She doesn't have the choice to just magically allow Margaret to get married or to do whatever she, she, that's not a choice that she has to do. I think that, but that's the bit that fascinates me is because- because she's the queen, right? This is this that's the that's the real struggle, right? Mm. She's the queen. Theoretically, right? That in name that sounds like you should get to do whatever you want, right? Ultimately, she represents and is sort of the spoke not just the spokesperson but like is kind of should be, I would have thought, the decision maker who gets to decide what's right and what's wrong for the Church of England and for like the the royal family and everything that's going on there. So when she does, She never misses a single day, and they're getting frustrated and bored and mm. hot and all that stuff around their tour. He's right to say, "Take a fucking break. You'll be okay." But yeah. if you miss one, if you don't go to Wagga Wagga, you know what I mean. Like, I think if I saw more of like a loving relationship that totally. also had the hard stuff, sure. then I think I would be a little, a little bit more inclined to sympathize and empathize with Philip, but also to connect with his character a bit more. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think. The season really was, it was pretty fucking, <laughs> I found quite negative on him. Like he was always the one to like, you know, give the opposite opinion. Where like those moments of kind of like joy or like banding together that didn't really exist. I and think I would they have exist liked, early on. Yeah, certainly early on. But yeah, when I was getting to like mid to late season, it would, I was just like, can someone just shoot this guy in the fucking <laughs> head? Like just good, put him out of his misery because all he does is complain. Well, I, okay. I don't think you're wrong. I think <laughs> I think when he chooses to like side with Margaret or when he says that royalty is just like the coat of paint over the rusty old banger, like he's not wrong there. There's a lot of times where he what he is saying is right. Get how he goes about it. He's a douchebag, mm. no doubt. And there's a lot of things that he does wrong. But there is a there is stuff in there that is right and that I would argue Elizabeth is getting wrong. Um, totally. But it's very easy to be the person who isn't the fucking queen totally. to be like, oh, actually, this is all nonsense and you should do this. It's like, well, that's not helpful to her in any fucking way. Uh, let's talk about Margaret for a second. How did you, A, feel about Margaret? I love Margaret. I'm in love with Margaret. I had no idea she was such, such a sexy bitch. Oh, my God. Amazing. And then I looked up photos of her and she's gorgeous. Yeah, she's actually gorgeous. Like- gorgeous. I have no idea. Um, I loved Margaret. I thought she was funny, sympathetic, also a bit of a nonce sometimes. <laughs> nonce. Um, I re- I, what a lovely bit of colour in the show and so necessary. Like uh, such a great kind of balance for Elizabeth. I yeah, think. yeah, that yeah. that is that the is. way they play off each other, and yeah, I thought it was wonderful. I did. I love the episode where she gets to like while Elizabeth and Philip are on the tour, she stand, she's behind, and she gets to sort of get the spotlight on her sparkle from mm-hmm. her. I think as her mum calls shine. it, shine, she needs to shine. I think that's right. And also, 
kind of cock it up and prove that she would not be suitable for the role as mm. the role is sort of described. Like, she couldn't do that role. Um, did you... How do you feel about her and Townsend? Um, at first, I thought it was lovely. Then I did more research and I was like, yikes. Yeah, the longer um, the season went on, the more I was like, sh- actually. In the, in the show, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And I was like, this is beautiful. And they really love each other, which is great, which is what we're meant to be talking about. But I did research the actual circumstances and it sounds pretty iffy and kind of fucked up. I, I, I think the show, I think she is particularly good at making you feel how in love she is with this guy, yes, right? Yeah. But I think there's enough in there to hopefully get across that maybe she's being a little bit naive about mm-hmm. the whole situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. In that, like, she has this thing that she'll be unhinged without him, that she's the only man she's ever loved that's been able to handle her, that she'll never marry anybody else, all this sort of stuff. I don't really know what happens with Margaret. So I don't know if she, uh, we'll find out mm. in future seasons. It's all, but I got, the thing that I, I do wish they emphasized a little bit more is they, they say it. He's been working for the family for 10 years. Mm. That means he's been around her since she was 15. Mm-hmm. And he is a man in his, he would be in late 30s then. He's, he's late 40s, I think. Well, apparently they got together when she was 17 and he was 33, I think. 30, oh, okay, 33. But still. When they first got together. But that's not when we meet them, I don't believe. Um, She's not 17 when we meet her. Is she? Is she? I think it's about that age, oh, yeah. Okay. Right. When we first met them, but again, the idea that he's been around for ten years. She's twenty. We know she's twenty-five, mm. so we know he's been in the picture <laughs> since she was fifteen. Mm. Does seem rather inappropriate, yeah. to say the least. They they play him so kind of. He seems like a genuinely wonderful person, though, and kind and thoughtful. The only time we're like, oh, maybe is when he's, you know, on the tour with Elizabeth. Yeah. And he's just kind of like smiling for the cameras and feeling a bit jazzed by the fact that people are supporting them, which kind of makes sense if you feel like the institution is against you. And I'm not saying this But I don't think they play him in any way as some sort of deviant or bad guy. I think they really do a good job of just not playing him very much at all. Mm. I think they really keep like... He doesn't have a lot of character to him. Mm. He's... Obviously infatuated mm. with Margaret, um, but I don't think they go a long way to proving no, and I that I, love there or anything like that. I disagree. How I think, so? I think they totally prove it. The fact that you know you think when they're first being split up and have to wait two years in separate countries, that feels like a huge betrayal and sure. a great sadness for both of them. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that they make the two years and they come back together feels like a great triumph. Triumph. I think they totally sell that as a great romance. And the tragedy once more when they have to break up and they're both so upset by it. No, that's a good point. I don't know. I didn't. I never felt a whole lot for... I guess I felt for Margaret in this situation. Mm. Again, she's the innocent party here. She's the naive one in this situation, mm-hmm. I think. You think about her world in general. I can understand why she's probably fallen for a guy like this. She seems to... Elizabeth says all the time, she's like, I get it. He's a celebrated war hero and he's very handsome. And not just that either. Like if he's been in her life and has sort of been this protector and this teacher or guide along the way as well, I can see how that turns into an infatuation. Mm. 
Um, but it's also she's lived in a very sort of like, well, I don't know. It's funny because she has got out and been with younger. We see her at parties and stuff. We and do. That's true. Him. Yeah. Um, I don't think what you're saying is actually in the show. Which part? Like the kind of what we infer now or believe about that situation, which I which I think the show does really does really well is that it doesn't impose what happened in history with our ideals now. They do talk about him being a bit too old for her and stuff like that. It does yes, come up. but not to the extent that we would have that critical eye now. Same okay. with like, you know, the thought of Elizabeth, obviously the first queen. She's not talking about feminism or all those things. She's not a super empowered w- woman or anything. Sure. So I think they, they do that really well where it's not like, Oh, no, it wouldn't have happened because you wouldn't believe those things. And so a 17-year-old girl falling in love with a 33-year-old man would not have been particularly shocking. I think in general, one of the things the show does well is it never plays anything as being inherently good Mm, or bad or correct Mm -hmm. or wrong. Everything is like there's at least a little bit of grey in there. Yeah. Um, But I think when it comes to Townsend's like bad strategy, the worst thing he did was call the Queen Lilibet like... You fool. Like, I'm not saying that's historically accurate or anything like that. That probably didn't happen. But, like, that was a dumb move. What were you thinking? <laughs> this is the fucking queen, mate. That's very silly. You're yeah. not, you're mm. not, you know, brother and sister-in-law yet. I think it was just a terrible mistake to come for Tommy at that meeting. I was like, you idiot. You can't beat Tommy. No. In a discussion. That was dumb. Uh, a person we haven't talked about yet, uh, and we should get through this pretty quickly, I think, is Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. How did you, how did you feel about John Lithgow's performance, first and foremost? I was always, it was really good. Yeah. I was certainly always aware that it was John Lithgow. Yeah. He did a great job. But I don't know. I'm just, I love John it's Lithgow, but it's John Lithgow. It's a pretty famous face. Yeah. 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 Um, but no, I thought he did a wonderful job and I thought the character was, God damn it, complex. Like with yeah. every moment, every episode, I felt differently about him. Um, mm-hmm. And nothing ever like smeared or ruined what was to come next. So it wasn't like he had a bad episode and then like I just hated him for the rest of it. Like there was like in every scene, every moment, every episode, there was something new to explore, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense because he's a certainly a very interesting character from history. I actually never knew that he was re-elected. I had no idea. No for idea me, Winston happened. Churchill is just World War II. World War II. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Um, I think of his we'll war We'll fight them on and- the beaches or whatever the fuck yeah. that was. Um yeah, that's that's the and his wit. I think we're all. I think he's like famous quotes and quips and stuff like that. Use of language. Use of language yeah, is definitely absolutely. noticeable. But yeah, no idea he was prime no minister. No idea. But he was never my prime uh, minister. Well, that's so the thing because I knew that um, the Queen obviously worked alongside Winston Churchill. Yeah, no but idea. I thought it was in World War Two. But obviously, she would have been far too young. Yep. I mean, she was off doing stuff. For she was a mechanic. The I believe, armed in the forces. War. Yes. In the war. Um. As was my grandmother. Um, Is that right? Yes. Well, she actually worked on airplanes, so like cool. better. Mm. <laughs> better than the queen. You That's right, first. motherfuckers. Um, so I I knew vague things about Winston Churchill, but nothing based in like a timeline or any real facts at yeah. all. So yeah, it was really interesting to kind of get behind the kind of the figurehead or the mask mm-hmm. or this very like. 2D version that I had of him in my mind. Well, he comes up in like Doctor Who and stuff like that, mm. right? And he just, he is that cartoon version of, you know, exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly that. Yeah. That's Winston Churchill right there. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> we nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. So, one of my favourite episodes, actually, is the one of him and the portrait. Mm. And, like, in a lot of ways, that episode was a portrait of Winston Churchill mm. and, like, broke him down and we found the vulnerability and the man underneath. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the persona that he was putting out there. It's The reason we think of Winston Churchill that way is that it was essentially, a, well, not because say branding's not the right word, it's a modern term, but like that was the uh, the, pers- the version of himself he put out there. Mm. Um, and so to, to get some insight into the man and his vulnerabilities and his history and his family and all these things that I'd never mm. known about was truly fascinating. And in general, just watching this... This man that I always think of because of his place in World War II as sort of being a hero and someone- considered the father of the nation during that totally. time. Totally. Yeah. And even at the start of this season when at the wedding he walks in at the right time to mm-hmm. the song and everyone stands up and applauds and doesn't do that for the Prime Minister who's actually there and then gets re-elected and then to see his party constantly trying to undermine him and get rid of him. They used him to get the election won. They don't actually want him to be Prime Minister. Mm. All of that is quite sad and pathetic in a way to watch. Even just watching him sort of like desperately cling to power mm. or or start to shrivel and wilt as a man shrinks mm. at times as well. The is way it, he yeah. handles the fog is poor. Yeah. He it's gets away with it poor with his words. is putting it yeah. mildly. Yeah, it's interesting to see as we see his like body shrink, mm. the ego comes up and tries to compensate. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I, you know, I am this father of the nation. I brought us through World War Two. That's how people see me. That's what I am. Um and he seems to not be able to comprehend that that the more he stays, the more that image is being diminished. Um, because he is at that stage, incompetent. He's unable to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he will get things right along the way, though. Oh, like because he's a very intelligent that's person. The thing, yeah. that's the thing is like no one is questioning his intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's his ability to lead and mm-hmm. make the right informed calls. Like his inaction during the fog mm-hmm. devastated London. Like it was awful. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a really great moment, not just to see that. Um, you know, his fellow um, parliamentarians and people in his party were out to get him because he was, you know, quote unquote, a doddering old fool. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because of that. It was because of he wasn't up for the job and he was doing it badly. It wasn't just because he was old and they wanted to get rid of him or because of jealousy. It was like he really wasn't nailing it like he once was. You talked earlier about this show is full of like two sides or dichotomies and stuff mm. like that. And I think. Churchill and Queen Elizabeth are a perfect example of that, where he is this man who is trying to be forced out of power, mm. and this is a woman that has been forced into power. Yeah. And like seeing those two, he, the responsibility he feels to her, the the how much she relies on him, but then, and just they're they're approaching this from completely different angles mm. at all times. It is a perfect duality yeah. that the show does. I think it does. A tremendous amount with without hitting you over the head with it. Mm-hmm. So while there can be clunky lines here and there mm. in the show, generally it's really thoroughly explored and isn't trying to like it doesn't like cast one in black and the other in white and no. do really obvious like tableaus and stuff like this. It just puts it all out there, explores it piece by piece. And I think it it's a it's a great structure for this first season to have it be her coming into power, him leaving power, what happens next. Mm-hmm. I think it's so good. Agreed. Any last words? Final thoughts. 
Do you have any side notes, Damask? I've just got a few tidbits. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've mentioned previously on other podcasts my dislike of a certain style of titles. It was the first note <laughs> in my side notes. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that. As, and for those that haven't <laughs> listened to podcasts where I've brought it up before, I'm very much over... Because every, I'm over it because every fucking show does it. Yep. And it's happened since like House and just like snowballed into this beast where every like production house that is making titles for people does yep. the exact same fucking thing where it's like close ups of certain objects or symbols relevant to the plot. It's over like, you know, dramatic music and it's just like swooping ins and out. For this one, it's like the crown and yep. shit. It's just like, Stop it. Please just do a different title sequence. Someone, please. Anyway, that was my first side note. That's so funny. That, that was literally the top of my list. But just while you're here, do you notice that what they don't do is ever actually show the full crown in the mm. open tiles? Do you know why? Why? Because it looks damn silly. Like that crown when it sits on it anybody's head funny. is a little bit dumb, let's be honest. And I think it, it also looks extra dumb because every kind of shitty costume store has like a fake crown that is like very similar to that and you've yep. kind of like seen terrible versions of it. It's like the staple crown and we're used to it and usually it looks terrible. I think of like and the, it's the lost king all of its kind of in bed knobs and broomsticks. I feel yeah, like this crown was that's like- exactly what it is. Yeah. Yes. Um my other one was just like Tommy's resting bitch face is the best, which mm-hmm. we've spoken about um as we should. And also Margaret as Mrs. Maisel. I enjoyed her little, um, when she was giving that little speech. When oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was away and she was fucking hitting those jokes and getting some giggles. I very much enjoyed that scene. Man, I can't wait for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season yeah, three to come too. out. Yeah, me I'm excited. Real soon. Uh, something I did like, we didn't talk about George at all, but I did want to say how much I thought Jared Harris was fucking great so in that good. role. And he like gets a couple episodes and then some flashbacks. And I don't, like, I don't presume to know how good a king he was but he certainly seemed beloved and by the end of two episodes I loved him mm. um, and really felt his relationship with his two daughters with his wife just in general with the kingdom I thought his death was handled really well I thought he was pretty beloved because he got them through World War II I definitely think that's yeah. part of it too um, but I I love this is something that a lot of things shows do but I loved again this is a great example of it when a character like that dies they never really again ever show them close up. They mm. always keep them at a distance. Everyone who goes to visit him in the bedroom, they never, ever, ever go close up on his face ever again, really. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like they're not really here anymore. And that distance between the camera and the figure, I think, is very effective um, just filmmaking techniques. That was cool. Wanky. Very wanky. <laughs> Something I did thought was fun. Fun showing the old telephone system at work. Like one, uh, oh, one episode that starts. That was fun. Yeah. And then like everyone listening in and stuff yeah. like that. So oh these conversations God. Drama. Great. Uh, but similarly, I also loved watching the preparation of the state banquet. Like how everyone like got to get this oh, done. And that's organized. another tidbit is like you see the guy standing on top of the table with like Looking things over his over his shoes and then wiping blemishes off. Yeah. My housemate mentioned, he's like, oh, yeah, no, they still do that. One of, like, a guy he knew that was, like, one of his jobs was to stand on the table and just, like, get rid of all the scuffs and things. While we're here, this is the perfect point for it. Was there any other stories that you desperately wanted to bring up 
I mean, you can save them for future episodes. We've got at least two <laughs> more of these to go. Maybe I'll save them. I'll, I'll ask my housemate a few more questions because I definitely have more stories, but they're inappropriate. So I can't tell them okay. on the podcast, but I'll, I'll find some G-rated stories um, and get back to you. I don't know if your housemate has any G-rated stories. On this <laughs> Good point. Uh, don't matronize me. I've never heard the term like matronize before. I went to do some like- I want to coin it. Yeah, I was. I thought it was very well. Like it was spoke so much to Philip as well. But mm-hmm. one of my favorite deliveries from Claire Foy. There's a bit where she's talking to Margaret on the phone. She's finding out about. She's going to have a meeting with her to mm. tell her about Peter Townsend. And she, there's just a lot of O's going on. And finally, when the phone's, oh. it was just like, oh, <laughs> it was just so well <laughs> delivered. Uh, mm. And this another line I liked. Uh, because they're English, male, and upper class, a good dressing down from nanny is what they most want in life. That was from uh, a seven. tutor, yeah, Professor Hogg. Yeah. Uh, least favorite. Oh, sorry. Yes. I just wanted to say one thing. I can't believe, can't believe that Matt Smith was paid more than Claire Foy this season. Yeah, that is ridiculous. I'm glad they rectified it. Me but too. That just goes to show. Fucking hell. How totally. much does a woman have to do to get equal fucking pay? Ridiculous. Betcha that didn't happen this time around with uh, Olivia Coleman. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that. Well, they went back and rectified it. They did. They did. Mm. I'm, I'm so it would be weird then if they changed it with Olivia Coleman. Like, you know what? Oscar award winning Olivia <laughs> Coleman. <laughs> I think she'll be fine. Yeah. Least favorite and favorite episode. What was your least favorite episode, Damask? I'm going to go with episode one. Interesting. Um, I didn't. I mean, there were a couple of episodes. I'm like, there are bits where I d- didn't really like mm-hmm. um, stuff in it, but I think just at that point, because I'd previously tried to watch the show before, mm-hmm. and I went through episode one. I was like, meh, not for me. Um, simply because I found it hard to connect. Um, the most approachable character is Elizabeth's dad, George. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was watching it because I wanted to know more about Elizabeth. So I know I just felt it hard to connect with her. It is odd that the show that is going to be about Elizabeth starts with Philip and George kind of, I mm. think. It's like it's it's really centered on them before we even get to she's around in mm. that first scene, but she's back there somewhere. Yeah, I think there are like a lot of big moments for Elizabeth in this show that aren't really centrally focused on Elizabeth. Mm. You know, we have so much of Philip and Churchill and that kind of thing. Um yeah, so obviously later we realise stoicism is part of her character, mm-hmm. um, but just on at the very beginning it's hard. She's like, well, I don't, I don't connect with any of these people. Uh, with any of these people, I don't really understand what we're doing. So do you think that's it, why it's my least favourite. I think. Do you think it was a bit of a mistake to just montage through like her entire marriage to Philip and her uh, having yeah, children? I do. <laughs> there was also a weird montage where it said twelve months later to show the first slide of a montage, and then we get another. Place, yeah, and like I was like. Wait, they have kids. It can't be 12 months late. Wait, no, you just did one title to start the montage that yeah. then went through several years. I thought it was a very odd choice. Very strange. Weird. Yep. Uh, my least favorite episode was episode four, Act of God, which is the one about the fog. I don't think it's a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination. I do think that things get a little bit... Heavy-handed? Yeah, heavy-handed. <laughs> I think the whole Venetia bit is a bit mm. of a blunt instrument. And it's sort of a lesser storytelling trick and of her, the season like, overall. And her love... Of Churchill, obviously, being like the love that the nation has for him. Yes, like you know, blah, 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 she represents yeah. not just multiple characters; she represents an entire the hope of the nation, yeah. the leader. Yeah, and then she gets hit much. by a bus. It's like, 
could we have made that somewhat more subtle? Mm. You know, it just it was a bit heavy handed, I thought. Yeah. But again, like you said earlier, it's a great episode for Churchill and like yeah. learning about his failings at that point. Your favorite episode, Damask? I'm going with episode seven. That's when we see uh, her vulnerability around her education, which made mm. me really connect to her. I thought the relationship with her professor was particularly lovely and charming. Um, and it's got to great lines of the show. Um, I would ask you to, cons- this is Elizabeth to Churchill. She says, I would ask you to consider your response in light of the respect that my rank and my office deserve, not that which my age and gender might suggest, mm-hmm. which I loved. Um, and then, yeah, the quote that you mentioned earlier, they're upper middle class English and men. All they want is a good dressing down from nanny. Such a good was line. Fabulous. I also liked watching Elizabeth at least try to stand up for her choice of Martin as secretary to Tommy. I really was thinking we were going to get um, Martin. It's cr- like yeah. she just every step of the way falls in line with this yeah. the crown. But I also think thing. like she truly is paranoid about, um, yeah, the destruction of the monarchy after like the trauma of David leaving because Tommy says to her, he's like, you mm. know, that kind of individualist way of thinking is like the rot that almost destroyed yeah, the monarchy and your family. Like, she, like that's so on her mind. And I think that moment was really poignant in, sta- in stating that. Again, this is a point where Philip is a little bit right here, though, because he has, like, uh, Tommy talks about this is the rot that could have killed the monarchy, mm. right? This individualism. But ultimately, it didn't. And then uh, Philip talks about how he's seen monarchies fall away because they don't keep up. They mm. aren't modernizing. Yeah. They aren't keeping up with the modern world. And so there's, like, you can't win. It's like arguments from both sides are mm-hmm. saying, if you don't do this, you're yeah, going to go down. Totally. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's interesting duality once again mm-hmm. in the show. What about you? Uh, my favorite episode is episode five, Smoke and Mirrors. It's a huge episode. This is the coronation episode. Mm. Huge episode for Elizabeth and Philip as a couple. And then, of course, for David as well. Um, this is the whole argument about Philip kneeling, which kicks off their marriage, really kicks their marriage problems into focus. David... Uh, he's sort of yeah, the duality of David there. The mm. David, the king who was but no longer is, That's his love to character. his wife. I think he's fascinating and so well handled in there. Um, the coronation, I just cannot get over how much I love that sequence. Mm. Both in the execution of the coronation itself and into how it was discussed by David, you know, over the the strait or the channel in in Paris, wherever he was. Again, the duality. It's it's all about the mm. duality and it's perfectly realized there. And it's just felt like it was almost like a half season finale. It like was the perfect center point mm. for this season. Well, I thought it was the coronation it. was going to be the season finale. Sure. I thought that was the point that we were going to get to, yeah. Um no, I just truly love that episode. Cool. Predictions, hopes, concerns. We normally talked about these here. Again, this is history. I don't really have any I'm kind of just mm. waiting to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I just spoke earlier about how maybe her like stoicism or her being impartial is going to further degrade her personal relationship. So I'm looking forward to them delving into that a little bit more. I, what's the time frame of next season? Do you know? It takes place ten starts ten years after the so end of last one. We head into I think it's the yeah. Late fifties, early sixties, something like that. Around around that time. like fifty four, five and stuff or something. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's like a f- half a decade to a decade mm. jump, something like the that. The Olympics were in fifty six. Correct. So, yeah, um, yeah. So, oh golly, who knows? I don't know anything that was going on in England. No, it, not in regards to the monarchy. Um, will she meet the Beatles? I don't know. 
it's quite possible. Who knows? Who knows? Right era. Um, yeah, I, did she? She must have met the Beatles. The most famous ever was. Um, yeah, I'm interested. I guess I'm just interested in how this plays, knowing that apparently there's meant to be six seasons. Two seasons. Is there? Yep. Oh. Huh. Two seasons per set of actors, essentially. So we're mm. currently in the youngest era with Claire Foy, Matt Smith, etc. And then we're going to move into our Olivia Coleman, Helena Bottom Carter era for two years, which apparently the second season, so season four, we're way ahead of ourselves That's going here. to be like Diana and Charles then. Diana and Charles. Ooh. I mean, if you've seen the trailer for season three, we know there's a lot of Charles in it. Mm. Um, Diana and Charles will certainly be in season four, as will Margaret Thatcher, played by mm. Peter Morgan's partner, Gillian Anderson. Oh, yeah. I didn't know they were together. That's cool. Neither did I until I did a Wikipedia search earlier. Mm. Uh, but yeah, she'll be playing Margaret Thatcher. Like, I'm already looking forward to season yeah. four. <laughs> That's going to be uh, yeah. fascinating. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, I, I guess I'm just fascinated that structure. We've got one more season, 10 more episodes with this same mm. cast. This kind of, yeah, we went from A to B. I'm looking forward to where it seems. That's not a prediction. There's nothing here. <laughs> I, a very, very vague thing to say. I guess I'm just I'm looking forward to getting one more season with these. Yeah, me too. These actors playing these roles. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing a bloody wonderful job at this point. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws, and our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at B Gordis, B G O R D E S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at Maskymoo, M A S K Y M O O. Next week, we'll be back with an episode of Off Topic Hot Topic. And then the week after that, we'll have our review of The, Cro- of the Crown, Season 2. I keep going to say The Queen. Still a David I mean, Morgan that's thing. That's fair. It's about The Queen. Our review of The Crown, Season 2. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Dawson Leary out. Good night. So, yeah.